0: Good morning, Oakwood. I told the first uh, service that music kind of reminds me of the Jaws theme. Do-do-do-do. Anybody uh, identify with that? We are going to finish up our counterculture series. It's a little mini series that we've been in for the last three weeks. And we're going to look at God's view versus the world's view and kind of how sometimes they may clash. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've been going one way and everyone was going the opposite? Maybe you're trying to get into a parking lot. Maybe it was for a sporting event or a concert, amusement park, or some big event, and you're going one way and it seems like the whole rest of the world is going the opposite way. True story, and and, and I uh, debated whether to tell you this or not because, you know, sometimes when I, tell stories, sometimes they might be a little bit personal, but last year we were driving home from Florida and we were on this highway coming out of the Florida panhandle and going into Alabama and the traffic was absolutely awful. Bumper to bumper for what seemed like hours, you know, you'd go a ways and stop. Well, we'd been in this traffic for a long time and I had gotten a pretty big drink that morning. Okay, you know where this is going? I'd gotten this pretty big drink. The gas tank was starting to get towards empty, but my tank was getting kind of to the full mark. <laughs> and I, I was to the point now, I'm thinking, I'm gonna pull this car off to the side of the road. Listen, no, 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 you can't do that. Good news, we saw this little sign, grand opening, food, fuel, and everything, great. We're gonna pull into this place and we pull off the highway and I got into a worse traffic jam trying to get into this new little convenience store called a a, a Bucky's. You ever heard of that? The whole world was there. In fact, they had a parking lot across the road that was set up for extra parking. And I just needed to get in here, but everybody was trying to get out and I'm like, okay, they don't realize what kind of a situation in it. I'm going this way. They're all wanting to come out. And I told Leah, I said, okay, enough. I put the car in park. I said, you find a parking spot. I'm going in here. (laughs) We were going to get gas. The lines were so long, we just changed our mind. Counterculture is living life against the flow. When everyone is going one direction and you're going the other. In fact, Jesus came to turn this world upside down. In fact, Jesus is teaching us to live counterculture counterculture to what the world is trying to teach us. And if you're going to live for Jesus, it means you're going to live counterculture and often you may be standing alone. It's important though. I think that we remind ourselves that we're temporary residents here. This world is not our home. We're only here for a short time. And so while we may be going against the flow right now, this isn't gonna last forever. Culture is what we make of the world. When we talk about culture, culture is different in different parts of the world. In fact, in different parts of Oklahoma, you're gonna find culture. Culture is what determines our values and our family's values and what we think and how we act and what we value. Lee and I went to Broken Bow uh, first week of September for vacation. And uh, the first few days, it it was over Labor Day weekend. And so the first few days, the place was packed. And all we got to see was tourists. But when the tourists all left, we got to see the culture of the Broken Bow area. A very beautiful part of the world. But let me tell you, it's a whole different mindset to live down there. It's a whole different culture we wanted to find a bait shop because we were going to go fishing the next day and i said hey i want to stop in here and find out what time they open so we went in there and i said uh can you tell me what time you guys open tomorrow they said oh we're open 24 hours a day i said oh well that's convenient she goes now if we're not here you just weigh out your minnows and uh put the money right over here in this little jar. I said, you mean kind of like the honor system? Yeah, and if you need any lures or, or, or bobbers or hooks or anything, just put the money over here in the jar. I'm like, wow, I'm not sure that would happen in Enid, Oklahoma. We went to this uh, little restaurant there and it was all, the tourists were gone. It was all just the normal locals. And there was this guy sitting over at the table, and he kind of struck up a conversation. And in just a matter of a few moments, I found out, you know, I I sat down with this guy, found out his name. In fact, we got a picture of him. Found out where he had worked for 35 years as a truck driver for Weyerhaeuser. I found out his political views. I found out that he ate every single night and ate there at that restaurant. Now, that is his beer, not mine, okay? I want to let you know that. said in that same table, the waitress knew him by name, and he began to just share his life. And I'm like, who does this? That's culture. Our boat broke down on the lake. The starter went out, and I thought, oh, our fishing trip's ruined. We talked to a guy, and He got us fixed up. Now, remember, it just happened to be over Labor Day weekend. Boats were everywhere. And he said, yeah, bring it on in. I'll I'll get you fixed up. And he ended up getting our starter fixed. And we were back on the water. I mean, he dropped everything to help us out. And I'm like, I don't know that that would have happened anywhere else other than than Broken Bow. Followers of Christ are called to live distinct counterculture to the world. And you see, it takes a whole different mindset to live counterculture. It takes a whole different mindset like a police officer or a fireman or an EMT. When everyone is running away from a disaster or a tragedy, they're running the opposite direction. They're running to it. It Takes a different person to be that emergency responder. It takes a different culture and a different mindset for us to live as counterculture in this world. So to be a true follower of Christ, you have to choose to live a different life and realize that you're going to be going against the flow almost all the time because what the world says and what God's word says are most always opposite. And they're going to be in constant battled against each other so it takes an entirely different mindset to decide I'm gonna live for Christ because it's counterculture and often you might find yourself standing all alone it's no secret that our society and our culture has been trending away from a Christian worldview and it seems like that it just all of a sudden happened But really being a follower of Christ has always been counterculture. It's just becoming more and more obvious all the time. Christians are not the majority anymore. Do you realize that? We are now officially in the minority. Christians for the longest time were the rule. Now we are the exception. We're living in a world where just about anything goes. If you want to be a man, you can be a man. If you want to be a woman, you can be a woman, or you can be both. If you want to be a dog, a cat, a kangaroo, whatever you decide to be, you can be it in our world today. And our world is going to tell you it's okay. And not only tell you it's okay, they're going to celebrate that fact with you. And this divide between God's view and the world's view is becoming greater all the time. In fact, friends will sometimes cease to be friends because of a political discussion or a religious discussion. Family members are divided over living counterculture. And this world, this culture is becoming Increasingly more hostile to Christians. In fact, I'm gonna tell you something. This may shock you, but the world hates us. You understand that? Now that isn't Alan Seibel telling you that the world hates us. That's the word of God telling you that the world hates us. And we experience hatred from every basically every religion worldwide hates Christianity. John chapter 15, beginning with verse 18. And I'm going to be using the New Living Translation today, and I've got to reading it more, and I remembered why I like this version so much. It's just a simple, plain, easy reading version, and for the longest time, I used that as my pulpit text, so you can follow along either in the app or, or on our screen. Verse 18 says, when the world hates you, remember it hated me before it hated you. The world would love you if you belong to it, but you don't. I chose you to come out of the world, and so it hates you. Skip down to verse 21. The people of this world will hate you because you belong to me, for they don't know God who sent me. Jesus said the world is going to hate you, so we shouldn't be surprised by it. In, in fact, we've got to understand and expect it. The world is going to hate us. I get uh, emails uh, weekly and updates from Voice of the Martyrs, and I got an email that just caught my attention. It said, "You could be killed for answering this one question." And I thought, "What is that?" So I clicked on it, and in many parts of the world, you could be killed for answering one question: Are you a Christian? You realize that how you answer that question would determine whether you live or die if you deny christ and like nope nope not a christian or do you profess christ and say yes i am a christian the smaller churches in in western oklahoma just finished what was called Uh, School of missions And there was a missionary from France Who was speaking at Burlington Or that Driftwood Christian Church in Burlington And Was telling them that All America has to do Is look at France He said you are about this close from becoming A post Christian Country He said France is full of churches But a lot of them are closed There's nobody there Because we are in a post-Christian country, France. And he said, America just needs to look at France, he said, because you're right behind us. Probably a lot closer than we even realize. I was talking to my friend, Stephen Miles, this week. He is a mission trip leader for International Commission. It's primarily a Baptist mission organization that goes overseas and leads mission trips, evangelistic crusades and things. And he had just got back from India And he said, I've got a video that I can send you that shows the Hindus attacking a church, tearing the roof off of it, ripping the windows out of it while the people are in there singing and worshiping and praying. I said, the Hindus? I said, they're not a a violent religion. He said, they are towards Christians. You see, the world, as Jesus said, hates us. Scripture tells us how the world feels about Christians and how we're to respond, but it gives us the hope that we have John chapter 16 Verse 1 Jesus says I have told you these things so that you won't fall away See Jesus is trying to prepare us in advance How we're going to be viewed and how we're going to be treated in this world in John chapter 16 verse 9 It says, the world's sin is unbelief in me. The world does not believe in Jesus. He said, the culture, the world's sin is unbelief. In verse 22 of chapter 16, Jesus says, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. Do you realize that we may experience heartache and trouble now, but that's all going to be replaced with joy when we get to see jesus slide on over to chapter 17 of the book of john verse 14 this is jesus speaking and he said i have given them your word he's actually praying and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as i do not belong I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They are not part of this world any more than I am. Make them pure and holy by teaching them your words of truth. As you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. You see, Jesus said the world hates believers because... We don't belong to the world. If we belonged to them, they'd accept us. They would love us. They would embrace us and tell us whatever we wanted to do and however we wanted to act. Whatever we wanted to believe was okay, and they'd celebrate that fact with us. And in chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I've told you all these things that you may have peace in me. Here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You see, when you make a decision to live for Jesus Christ, you make your decision based on the word of God to determine your faith, your family's values, your personal values. And when you do that, you're going to live counterculture. Jesus told us that. Right now, the world is so caught up being politically correct that we have to use the right terms, the right verbs, the right this or that. We Oh, you can't say that. Friends, I want to tell you something. We need to quit worrying so much about being politically correct and start worrying and living our life biblically correct. Amen? Amen? Erica gave me two questions to address today in the next hour. Anybody catch that? You're sharper than the the first service. It took him a bit longer. Um, Two questions I want us to answer today that contrast God's view versus the world's view and realize that God's worldview and society's worldview are always, almost always opposed to each other. The first is why does God allow pain and suffering in this world? Why does God allow that? Why doesn't he fix it? Or heal it, especially for believers. What did Jesus say in chapter 16, verse 1? He said, I have told you these things so that you won't fall away. Then in 33, he says, I've told you this so that you will have peace here on this earth. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So that's the first question we're going to try to answer and look at god's view versus the world's view the second one is jesus the only way to heaven at the end of your life or are there many ways to heaven so let's take them in order okay the first one here is why does god allow pain and suffering in the world does he allow it does he permit it does he cause it two weeks ago a category four hurricane hit the Gulf Coast of Florida. It might be upgraded to a Category 5 when they finish their investigation. It claimed the life of more than 100 people. There are still some people that have been unaccounted for, whether they got swept out to sea or buried below rubble or something. It was a terrible disaster. A week ago, outside of a high school football stadium, there was a shooting just down the road from us in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that left one teenager Dead and three injured. Terrible tragedy. A week ago, there was a little 11-year-old girl that was killed in a car accident over by Kenton Why does God allow these? Did He cause this to happen? You see, every time there is a disaster or tragedy, non-believers use that as an opportunity to raise the question: Well, if God is such a loving, all-caring God, why did He He allow this to happen? Now, the unbelievers are going to say, well, obviously the universe is mad at that person or the universe is getting even with that person. They try to take God out of the whole equation and replace it with the universe. And sometimes even Christians struggle with that question. Did God cause this or did he allow it to happen? If he allowed it to happen, then why didn't he stop it? And we question, is this some form of God's punishment? Or is it a result of our own sin? Are people just getting what they deserved? Galatians chapter 6, 7. And we are going to go through a lot of scriptures real fast. So I don't expect you to try to find them all. You can, uh, they're in the app. You can look them up later. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. That's the law of reaping and sowing. Some versions trans- translate this, that you will reap what you sow. So is this person that has something bad happen, or are they just getting what they deserved? Well, why doesn't God protect his faithful followers from harm? Or does he, and we're just misunderstanding Because after all, we've heard that our lives are in his hand, right? So if something bad happens, he must have caused it or allowed it, right? Let's find out what Jesus had to say about this subject. In John chapter 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born or blind from birth. Rabbi, the disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Let's find out what the Apostle Paul said. First Peter. Or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Peter the Apostle said, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. You see, Scripture is very plain here. Jesus is plain, you're going to experience trouble in this world you're gonna have heartaches grief people you love will die we will go through times of disaster man does that sound like a loving God people struggle with that book of Isaiah tells us that he is with us during those times he says dear friends or in their suffering he also suffered and personally rescued them in his love and mercy he redeemed them he lifted them up and he carried them through all the years you see there are some things that we're gonna go through that are very tough but God says I'm always gonna be there and walk with you through those things and I wish I had an answer for everything that happens bad in this world I wish I could explain to you why these disasters happen, why people have heartache and grief. But there are some things this side of heaven that we're never going to know. In the book of Job, Job had just lost everything, his family, his possessions, all of his livestock, crop. it was just all gone, all wiped out. His friends came and sat for three days. They didn't even know what to say. They just sat there in silence. And then there is this dialogue between Job and God going back and forth. And Job had asked some tough questions of God. But then, listen to what he said. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? Job said, it's I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. He basically said, God, I'm sorry I was wrong here. I, I was foolish. I was addressing and talking about things that I had no idea. Deuteronomy 29, 29 tells us, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that He has revealed to us so that we may obey all the th- terms of these instructions. Other versions translate this and say the secret things belong to the Lord. Job thought that he could speak for God, and he finally just said, I-, I can't speak for God. I'm too foolish. But I can tell you this, God has a purpose behind every one of our problems. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Our present troubles are small and won't last very long, but yet they produce for us a glory that is vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, but rather we fix our glaze on things that cannot be seen. For things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And I believe that Scripture teaches us that all these problems and things we go through teach us to depend on God. In fact, he tells us in 2 Corinthians 1, 9, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. In the Scripture that I just read in 1 Peter, these things help us develop our character into a Christ-like character. We're not trying to become better person, people. We're trying to become a more Christ-like person. Problems test our faith and they develop our character. First Peter four or First Peter one seven. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire test and purifies gold through your, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And James says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for a great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And then in the book of Romans, Apostle Paul says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confidence of hope. Do you know one of the benefits I think these problems do for us is they prepare us for eternity romans chapter 8 verse 17 and said since we are his children and we are his heirs in fact together with christ we are heirs of god's glory but if we are to share his glory we must also share in his suffering." One of the things that we've got to understand is that God always has good intentions. God is not out to get us. He's not out to bring disaster and trouble and heartache and punishment. And we have to trust God. We have to trust that his intentions are always good. Jeremiah 29 says, "For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you hope and a future. Genesis 50, verse 20. Said, says, you intended to harm me. And this was Joseph after. You remember the whole story of Joseph? He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Then he got accused of rape by his boss's wife that he did not do. Got thrown into a dungeon. and He was left there for a long time. And then he got out. And his brothers had to come find food. This is what he said. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people I think one of the greatest opportunities trials and tragedies brings is it gives us an op, as an, a body of Christ the opportunity to minister to others in Galatians 6 it says share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ I love this part of it if you think you're too important to help someone? You are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Let me kind of give you Alan's paraphrase of that: You're not that big a deal. You think you're too important, too big to help somebody else? You're not that big a deal. These problems give us an opportunity to serve others. People ask, "Well, where is God when these things happen?" As you read through the Bible, you're going to see that God is the same place that he was in the garden when Adam and Eve rebelled. The same place that he was when Noah built the ark, protecting him from disaster. The same place he was in Job 1 when Job lost everything, even though he had not done anything wrong and he'd lived a righteous life. Same place he was when Joseph was left to rot in jail. Same place he was when Moses was on the backside of the desert, being prepared for something even greater. Same place he was when Samson got his hair cut, got arrested, got his eyes poked out, was brought in to be made sport and fun of. But I love this scripture where it says, but the hair began to grow. The same place he was when he cried out to, to God one last time, God, let me avenge my enemies with one great act of strength. And he pushed that Colosseum uh, pillars down. Same place that he was in Jonah when Jonah was swallowed by a fish and learning that God's way was the best way. Same place he was when Daniel was thrown into the den of lions for continuing to pray and disobeying the government's orders. The same place he was when Peter and John were jailed for preaching the gospel. The same place that he was when Paul was arrested and stoned and then finally shipwrecked and even got snake bit. But most importantly, the same place that he was, as you read, when Jesus was on the cross. God was there with him. So I want to tell you this morning, bad things really do happen to both godly and righteous people as well as ungodly and unrighteous people. And it's because we live in a fallen and a broken world. Second question, real quickly, I want to address, is Jesus the only way? To eternal life the only way to heaven see a lot of people believe that there are a lot of roads to heaven doesn't matter if you're a, a Mormon Jehovah Witness a Catholic a Christian a Hindu a Muslim or one of the many Eastern religions, we're all driving up this mountain. We're just taking different paths and different roads, and we're all gonna eventually get to heaven. We're all going to the same place, right? Well, I wanna tell you, nothing can be further than the truth than that. And many people have bought that lie. It's one of Satan's greatest con jobs. And a lot of people, especially in this world, say, Well, Christians, you guys are too narrow minded. What makes you believe that you have all the answers and you have the only way to heaven? I mean, there's a lot of world religions out there. How can you say that yours is the only right one and the rest are all wrong? I want to tell you something this morning. You cannot believe there are multiple ways to heaven and believe the word of God. You can't do it. Let's find out what the Bible says about that question. And what the Bible says and what the world says are counterculture to each other. And this idea is wrapped into this neat little term called secularism, that, you know, we just need to accept each other. John chapter 17, verse 3, says... And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one whom you sent to earth. In John chapter eight, verse 24 that is why i've said you will die in your sins for unless you believe that i am who i claim to be you will die in your sins in acts chapter 4 verse 12 there is salvation found in no one else god has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved paul wrote to timothy said there is one god one mediator who can reconcile god and humanity the man jesus christ i want you to notice something here We didn't claim that Jesus is the only way. Okay, that's not our claim to make. Jesus himself made that claim. And almost every one of the other New Testament writers backed that claim up and said, Jesus is the only way. So we didn't make that claim. Jesus himself made that claim. We simply believed it. Jesus is unique in the fact that he came back from the dead as he said he was going to do. He said in advance he was going to do it. No other religious leader worldwide can make that claim. Do you realize that? When they died, they didn't come back to life. They died and they stayed dead. But Jesus said, I'm coming back to life, and guess what? He did it. And Christianity is different from every other worldwide religion because Every other religion other than Christianity is man's effort to try to reach out to God But when we believe the Bible, it's God's effort to reach out to us You understand that They believe they have to do something in order to reach God to make it to heaven They have to go through all these things these religions teach that man must somehow do all these righteous deeds and perform these religious services in order to become good enough for salvation. But Jesus, on the other hand, said, I know you'll never be good enough for salvation. That's why I was righteous for you. Some religions say in order to be saved, a person has to pray a certain number of, of times a day or in a certain manner, or facing a certain direction, or that you have to wear this type of religious garment, or you have to visit this religious shrine somewhere, or you have to worship in a particular way. Some religions require a sacrifice of great pain upon that believer in order to become holy in the sight of God. Some extreme religions require believers to beat themselves with whips and rods to show their devotion to God. Some religions require the believers to crawl on their hands and knees a certain distance and pray in order to earn their righteous points with God. But I want to tell you something, and all this is man striving after righteousness, trying to do something to achieve righteousness. You see, all these religions have this scale hanging over the head of everybody. All the sins you've committed on one side— and all the righteous good deeds and things that you've done on this side and you just hope that at the end of your life you've done more righteous good deeds than you did sins. Friends, I want to tell you, it doesn't work that way. We can know before we die that we're forgiven. The Bible teaches that man is a sinner and we can never earn salvation by what we Have done ourselves. that's why we know Jesus is the only way and he backs it up by proving he is who who he said he was by conquering death our college students are uh, reading a book right now from C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity he's a British writer and he writes in there a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not or would not be a great moral teacher, he'd either be a lunatic on a level with man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher He's not left that open to us He did not intend to so jesus was either a madman a liar a myth Or really he was and is The son of god you have to choose that So friends I want to tell you today Jesus is the only way to heaven regardless of what the world may say, regardless of how they may try to confuse you or point to other reasons why he's not the only way, Jesus is the only way. And no matter how good you are or how righteous you are or no matter what you do for God, you can never be good enough or holy enough to earn salvation. You see, any plan of salvation based on the efforts of man, is doomed for failure. But this Bible tells us that salvation has been made available because Jesus came to this earth and he bore all of our sins on this earth, on the cross for us. Close close your stuff up. I want you to just listen. A lot of times when we preach, we give you some really great information and we uh, lay out some some scripture. Tonight or this morning, I want to give you a challenge. I want to give you a challenge. And that challenge is, will you decide today that you're going to live counterculture? Regardless of what the world says is right and wrong, you're going to base your standards and live according to God's Word? See, there's a lot of phonies in this world, in every religion. There's a lot of phonies maybe in Christianity. But I'm going to ask you today, are you willing to take that commitment to live counterculture by following Jesus? There's coming a day when he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. The goats think that they're sheep, but they're really goats. They're phonies. They went along with the world. If the world can't look at you and say, you're a Christian... Or I wonder if that person's a Christian. If they can't look at you and say, that person is a follower of God, this challenge is for you. Will you live counterculture? Even if it means standing all alone, even if no one will stand with you, it's willing to say, Jesus, I'm standing with you. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I don't want you to leave this room until you settle that issue. If you've never trusted Jesus, now is the time. Don't delay. Don't hesitate. Don't live one more day without Jesus.